Good afternoon. I'm Kathleen Sheehan, the Executive Director of the Council of American Ambassadors, and I want to welcome everyone to this special Council event. We are incredibly fortunate to have Ambassador Capricia Penevik Marshall here to talk to us about her book, Protocol, The Power of Diplomacy and How to Make It Work for You. I know that many of you have already read it, but for those who haven't yet, it's a fascinating look at why diplomacy and etiquette matter, both on the international stage and in everyday life. Ambassador Marshall is a longtime member of the council, so you already know that not only is she the former White House Social Secretary and Chief of Protocol, she also is a wonderful storyteller, and we are sure to hear some fabulous tales today. To introduce Ambassador Marshall and to ask her to relay some of her fascinating stories, we have another longtime council member, Ambassador Elizabeth Bagley. Ambassador Bagley led the U.S. mission in Portugal from 1994 to 1997, and she also was the special representative for global partnerships in the office of the Secretary of State and a special advisor for the Secretary's initiatives. Ambassador Bagley and Ambassador Marshall have worked together and been friends for many years. So I am looking forward to ceding the screen to both of them and listening to their conversation. On an administrative note, we encourage questions from the audience. So please feel free to write your questions in the Q&A box at the bottom of your screen and we will allow plenty of time for them at the end of the talk. And with that, I'm happy to turn the program over to Ambassador Bagley. Thank you, Kathleen. Does everyone hear me? I hope. Yes, good. Um, welcome and um, hello to all my fellow ambassadors. It's really a, a pleasure to be here and an honor to introduce and to have a conversation, which we've out of many, uh, with my good friend, Capricia Marshall. Uh, Capricia and I go way back through to, I think, the 1992 campaign when she was the advance uh, person, the body, body person, I guess they call it, for Hillary. Um, and after that, after she, after the president won, uh, went into the White House and then later became uh, social secretary. But in that ensuing time in 1993 to 97, I was in Portugal and uh, she and Hillary and Chelsea and Chelsea's friend came and visited and we went all over. We went to you know, Fatima and a lot of places and uh, they stayed with us in the residence. And I remember sharing the uh, exercise room with you one morning, six in the morning or something crazy. Um, and then uh, when she became Fast forward, of course, the Obama administration, she became chief of protocol, which I knew she would be amazing at using all her social secretary skills and her people skills um, and her incredible organizational uh, skills. So I always thought I was type A, but Capricia is type A plus, plus, plus. <laughs> As you will see when you read this, uh, talking about all the things that she takes uh, when going on a plane and things that I, now I'm taking a list of all those things because I think it's so important. Some things I've never even thought of. Uh, but anyway, it, she has, she was an amazing chief of protocol. And I know from uh, where I speak because I spent, I was doing protocol for the 1992 uh, transition and the inaugural and have been at State Department on and off since, oh God, I'm aging myself, it's uh, 1977 and uh, 
I've worked in the protocol office with the protocol people. So I can uh, easily attest that she is by far the best protocol chief I have ever seen. Oh. She really raised it to a, another level. But we'll talk uh, enough of, of our conversation. I would love to, to hear more. And I the, the, really, I think the, uh, what came to me off the page was how you put everything together, the power of place, the um, even starting with the name, the Greek meaning of protocol, protos first, kalau, uh, meaning attached, attached first. So setting the stage, setting the tone for engagement um, on everything, every negotiation, ranging from President Obama's first state uh, visit to Beijing. Um, and I'd love to, you to talk about the noodle making because I think that was an amazing example of how you bring people together uh, to the painstaking arrangements uh, of the G20 summit in uh, 2020 in Mexico where she had to deal with uh, putting together a bilateral with President Obama and President Putin. Never an easy task. So many things uh, to talk about what protocol really is and how important it is to not only set the stage, but to bring people together, to use it as a door, uh, to bring people together and to connect. And, and to give your, which is also very interesting, to give your president, our president, the uh, a little higher playing field, to change the playing field in, in different ways. And I love if you talk about the, the ambiance, the fact of the room, if the room is the, the ceiling, the greenery, I mean, just things that you just don't think about that really uh, change the mood and the tone and therefore, uh, you know, could be the, you know, very important part of the negotiations. So with that, uh, maybe you could start with the noodle making, which is, I think, a, a fabulous example of how you set the stage. Well, first, let me just say um, to you, Ambassador Elizabeth Bagley, that I am so pleased to see you. I have missed you desperately. Mm -hmm. um, I know that you are in a finer, warmer climate. Look at her. She just always <laughs> looks spectacular, spectacular. and. Uh, one of our country's finest diplomats and uh, so very proud of um, all that you did uh, to serve uh, the United States um, in, in so many different capacities uh, over the years. And, uh, you know, you may have started early on. I think you probably were, it seems like probably 10 at that time. Yeah. Ten. Uh, good. Ambassador. Good. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yes. you are so <laughs> instrumental and I have to say legendary at the State Department. I am so pleased to also be joining the Council of American Ambassadors. Thank you so very much for hosting uh, this discussion. I have to say I am taken aback by the, uh, the names that were sent to me of those who are joining our conversation today. Uh, clearly the finest diplomats that our country has has, has sent over to represent the best of the best indeed. Um, I, I want to uh, thank Jocelyn uh, for everything that she did to prepare uh, today's conversation. We certainly did not make it easy. I certainly did not make it easy for her. And to Kathleen as well for that really right. lovely, lovely introduction. 
Well, I, I would have to start off in saying that you hit upon so many wonderful points, Ambassador Bagley, that um, I pull out in the book. Uh, you know, I went about writing this book because of the lessons that I have learned over the years, the tools that I developed throughout my years um, as chief of protocol, previously also as, as, as you pointed out, uh, social secretary during the Clinton administration, so many you know, instrumental tools that, that were you know, really uh, essential in helping our presidents, first ladies, vice presidents, secretaries of state, create those critical relationships, the connectivity. And um, I have to say on that last day when I was leaving the Oval Office, I was sobbing uncontrollably. It was mortifying for my poor son and husband as they're looking at me, weeping on President Obama's shoulder. Uh, but I, I really realized shortly thereafter that in the private sector, and, and I know so many of you have experienced this, uh, and in people's independent lives, they don't know how to create those, those, those very important relationships that um, help advance their, their corporate goals, their client goals, achieving um, that, that ultimate ceiling of the deal, or in their individual lives, how do they expand their circle? How do they get to network better uh, and, and broaden their interests? And we need that today more so than, than ever before. And so that's why I really set about to write this book. I wanted to share all of that and using a lot of the fun anecdotes that, that you noted, uh, Ambassador Bagley, um, you know, the, the one that you, that you have highlighted, uh, the making of the noodle, is special for so many so many reasons. First, um, I must note that I was quite lucky to work for two presidents who really understood the value of protocol, who understood those intricate moves that each of you have experienced in your diplomatic endeavors that can make that incredible difference, whether it was how you greeted someone or how you set the room, the environment for diplomacy to take place, um, you know, down to you know, what, what you were using to sign a document. Every element of that engagement was so very, very important. And I was really lucky that right before President Obama would walk into a room and he's so tall, and even though I was wearing like three and a half inch heels, I, he would stop and I would stand before him and he'd say, okay, commercial, looking down at me, go. And he knew I had those last two or three points that I needed to make that would make sure that, you know, a faulty, you know, use of a shoe, a bottom of a shoe facing the audience wouldn't divert attention away from uh, his initiative, making sure that I gave him that advice, making sure that I also gave him some advice that, as you noted, would power the, would pivot the power in his direction um, so that he had, mm -hmm. you know, he had a, a welcoming, respectful engagement, but also one that you know, that was noteworthy of, of his counterpart, uh, a proper gesture, whatever that might be, uh, you know, I made sure that he knew that. So in this instance, when I traveled with President Obama over to, to China, this was their very first engagement with President Hu. It was at his invitation for a state visit. So, you know, stakes are high. We all know the state visits, very important. And um, Ambassador Huntsman actually was there. And, uh, and this was also his first big engagement. 
And so uh, we arrive and the first evening, President Hu is hosting President Obama for a, a small gathering, a small dinner at the Diutai, which is like the, um, the Camp David of China, of the Chinese for the Chinese president. And uh, we're in Villa 18, a very, very important villa. And the staff is now crammed into the back room while the delegations are being seated for dinner. Just at the top of dinner, my counterpart comes rushing over to me. He's like, oh, Ambassador Marshall, Ambassador Marshall, I have something very, very important to ask you. And I said, yes, yes, you know, and this is really odd because, you know, the Chinese have adhere to extremely strict protocol. Everything has been detailed out. We have gone through it ad nauseum, you know, 10 times. We know exactly how this evening is supposed to unfold. So for this you know, moment to happen was really unusual. So uh, he goes up to me and he says, you know, President Hu has a very special request of President Obama. And I said, oh, okay, what can that be? And he said, well, President Hu would like President Obama to make a noodle. And okay. I was like, I'm so sorry, excuse me? Yeah. And he said, uh, he explained that he wanted to make a noodle, how we were going to make a noodle, why the making of the noodle was important. And so I, of course, go to Valerie and the rest of the team, and I explain this, and they look at me and they go, well, clearly you think this is important, so if you think it's so important, you tell him. I was like, okay. And I did think it was really important. So I went over to President Obama, whispered in his ear, you know, Mr. President, President Hu would like you to make a noodle. And he kind of gives me this look like, what? <laughs> and, uh, but doesn't say a word. I explained to him why it was important. And he's like, okay, let's make a noodle. And he stands up shoulder to shoulder with President Hu, and they start bouncing this little piece of dough that begins to create this super long noodle. And what the Chinese wanted to represent, what they wanted to show in that, is that this is the beginning of a relationship that will go on for many, many years. And President Obama knew, without scoffing at it or making fun of it or commenting in any way, what he understood also, that this ritual was very important to his counterpart, to President Hu Jintao, and that at the precipice of this relationship, when you engage in these important rituals, it can make an enormous difference. And I believe that it did. Mm -hmm. And it did, certainly. Uh, talk about uh, the UN and some of the, uh, the asides that you had to put together, the tables, the G G20, in particular, the, the, the bilateral between President and um, President Putin who was, I was, as we all know, is not an easy person to engage with. So no. how did you set that stage? <laughs> not at all, not at all. You know, I really, I talk about um, this, this anecdote for a variety of different reasons. Um, there are so many elements in protocol that oftentimes are not even, are not even recognized by our presidents and secretaries of state. Um, I, I refer to protocol as a superpower because it really is those micro details, those nuances that can have that major impact. So it is the power of place. It is the mindset of diplomacy. You all know how you can shift an atmosphere just by give, putting someone in a different mindset, perhaps a surprise, perhaps by emitting empathy, showing that you 
understand the position that they're in. Also humility. Um, this is, these are two characteristics that both President Clinton and President Obama certainly had in abundance, as well as Secretary, Secretary Clinton, and very effective in diplomacy and leadership. Um, on this occasion, when we traveled to Mexico for the G20, I mean, tensions were super, super high uh, mm. because this was the first meeting that President Obama was going to have with President Putin as, uh, as president. And so, um, you know, the day of, uh, well, actually the day, a couple days before we've received now all of the bilateral lists and what do we have to do? And I meet with Tom Donilon and the, the NSC team and, and they're outlining what their objectives are. And, and so I set about with a young woman that I worked with, Sal Roberts, to go and really create that environment. Now, what they emphasize was there are a lot of issues that they want to push President Putin into coming closer to, we, they know that we're not gonna have complete agreement, but closer, become more collaborative in these discussions. And so we knew that uh, that meant we needed a, a really tight room. We needed a small space. And so we found one at this resort, this exquisite resort, and um, worked with the Secret Service. Of course, they black out all of the light, all the windows, and then we had to we had to warm it up with lighting. Um, we found a very thin table, so again, that they were closer to in proximity to one another. Um, we lined that table with some greenery, um, and it, you know, all of these elements were all so 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 important in in creating the perfect ambiance. This room also happened to have a lower ceiling height. And that lower yeah. ceiling heights uh, are really known to push people into more concrete decisions. So it's now day of. And um, I go up and I'm standing in my orange suit awaiting President uh, Putin's arrival. And he does. And he arrives with Minister Lavrov late. They are like very late. And uh, this is a bit of mindset diplomacy on his part. He <laughs> wants to, you know, basically say, oh, I'm in charge. I can show up when I want to. <laughs> this, of course, was not sitting well with my president, of course. And um, so I greet him ever so pleasantly, escort him down. I look at Minister Lavrov. I'm like, what happened to you? Then? And so we continue <laughs> on. I make the introductions. Now, President Obama is really tall. And he is standing there. What we had learned, you know, earlier was that President Putin was very hopeful that Hillary Clinton was not going to be in attendance because uh -huh. she had criticized his election. And so he was like, I don't want to see this woman there. Well, President well, Putin for, je for jeopardizing or undermining the election, right? Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. And so President Obama greets President Putin and, uh, and then he says, oh, and he steps aside and unveils his secretary of state. Well, a bit of mindset diplomacy takes place there. There's Putin and he is instantly surprised, taken off guard, game is off a little bit, and, uh, but then gathers himself as she extends her hand and of course wel warmly welcomes him. Well, you know, all of this is, is taking place. I escort them now into the room, put them into these, this confined space. We learned several hours later with the report out that indeed, President Putin did come closer on issues like Syria, certainly not connecting with us, not completely agreeing, but closer. And that's what we were trying to achieve. So our roadmap that we laid out in protocol worked on that day. That's great. And it's so important when you think of, uh, and no one I don't think realizes 
how important it is to know the substantive issues, to meet with Tom Donlin and, and others in a NSC when you're before the event, uh, long before the event, just to determine what the priorities are and where, and, and to have a sense of where you want to go, where your goals are, and then having to facilitate those goals through, through protocol. Um, one of the things I think that well, you did so many new uh, initiatives uh, from the building or helping we did. We worked on the secretary's balcony, which was you know, really beautiful. Um, and one that I think all secretaries of state from then on will uh, enjoy. And you had 4th of July parties there, I remember. Um, the other that I was involved with um, and loved were the trips um, to experience, on a, experience America. Uh, trips to Atlanta. Um, I remember going to, uh, well, Atlanta, uh, New Orleans. New Orleans, yeah. Um, yeah, and um, oh God, a couple, a few others. Anyway, um, I think the Atlanta one was really, really special, and I wondered if you could uh, talk a little bit about the ambassadors, how you brought the ambassadors in. There are many things that you did with the ambassadors that had never been done before. Um, that, was, that was one that uh, had been done before, but you had, you brought them in for meetings with uh, government officials, um, really, really brought them into our government in a way that they had never been able to do before, or never experienced before. So um, talk a little bit about Atlanta and how, uh, what an impact it had on them. Sure, yeah. So, you know, the, it, um, it, the idea really stemmed from Secretary Clinton when in one of our assistant secretaries meetings, I think you'll, you'll remember this well, uh, Ambassador Bagley, that, that she said, I want you to go back to your offices and I want you to determine with your teams, what else can you do in your operations to create stronger bilateral relationships? That was also why she implemented having all of our US ambassadors come back to post, come back to rather the United States, come Great back idea. once a year to reconnect. Mm -hmm. Are we right. doing best practices? What else should we be doing? Let's hear from you. How are we not supporting you? That, that was so important to create that network of information. Mm -hmm. and, um, and she was so spot on with uh, how we could endeavor, especially in our office, in the Office of Protocol, in strengthening those relationships. Uh, I created a, a new division that they still have there, but they folded it into diplomatic affairs, but it's called the Diplomatic Partnerships Division. Mm -hmm. And in that division, um, we, were co we concentrated our efforts on, on really bringing in those ambassadors who are here. And, and you know, the ones that are posted to the United States are the best of the best, as you all are the best of the best abroad. Uh, the U.S. ambassadors are considered always top, top, top shelf, right? <laughs> and so um, we wanted to engage with them. We really wanted them to get to know us, and we certainly wanted to get to know them. I had gone out to my predecessors and asked them about programs that had worked for them. As you point out, Nancy Brinker had started this program uh, during her time. And uh, I'm so grateful to, to Ambassador Brinker uh, for sharing it with me and for also reinforcing why it was so important. Um, what we wanted to do and what we now and what we, we ended up doing was really um, 
giving it permanence in the Office of Protocol. And I'm so pleased that it's continuing on uh, today. And then we expanded it and we created a budget for it. Um, and the Experience America trips are, were designed to take the foreign ambassadors across the United States to different postings. Now they paid their own way and they paid for their own hotel, of course, but then we found hosts and uh, from the Chamber of Commerce to various individuals who, who hosted dinners in their homes. We, they were wonderful, like small dinners that they could experience the difference between a, a home in Washington, D.C., one in Chicago, one in Atlanta, as you point out, and, and those all the way to Alaska. Uh, and uh, each of these trips were meant to create new relationships, new opportunities, but also to give them a slice of who we are in the United States. And certainly in Atlanta, what we really wanted to talk about was not only how great America is, but that we have some blemishes, that there, there, are, some, there are parts of our past that are hard to manage, hard to deal with. And, uh, and we wanted to talk about that. In talking about that, we created some extraordinary connections. Um, we had heard, we heard from, when we, we brought on stage at the, at the Martin Luther King um, Memorial and Library. Um, we, we had John Lewis there and that was, that was just amazing. And, um, and, and he spoke of, of those struggles, but then the ambassador of South Africa who was imprisoned, Ibrahim Esul, he was imprisoned with Nelson Mandela and the ambassador from Kosovo talked about being imprisoned uh, there because he was a journalist. And each of them were talking about their individual experiences, but how they had looked to the United States, for example, that there were these really, really difficult times, you know, just dark, awful times. And how did we rise above them? Now, regrettably, we are still living through them and we still have yeah. a long road to travel. But in having those critical conversations with our global partners, it certainly did what we intended was to create those, uh, those important connections with them. Mm -hmm. And to have them see the, our glorious country, you know, which... Uh. So many of them, especially the, you know, ambassadors from smaller countries don't have the opportunity to do so. Mm -hmm. Nashville was the other one I was looking at. Oh, my God, that was that was really fun going into listening to uh, some of the great music that they had going up and down the streets, going to the set. I think I, I was involved getting them on the set of Nashville, the TV show, um, but also just seeing our, our amazing history and culture. And speaking of culture, there, okay, there's so many different kinds of diplomacy that people don't even think about, like cultural diplomacy, like food diplomacy that you started. Uh, so tell us a little bit, in color, I love the color diplomacy where you go in and if you're in China, wear red. You had that red coat that you bought uh, so that, to keep you warm, but also uh, as a tribute to what the Chinese think. And then the number eight, there's like so many different things that uh, you know and you learned and, and applied to make the Chinese more, more comfortable. Uh, so talk about food diplomacy, because I think that's, again, unique to um, what you did and how you started. I am just so impressed. You got all the details. Oh, I, I read the whole that. thing. Thank of you. course, Thank I loved you. it. Thank you. <laughs> um, so you... It, Again, uh, really on the on the heels of the the directive from Secretary Clinton, and in particular, I'll tell you, she gave me a a look, 
there was a bilateral <laughs> luncheon that took place. And, and you know, I've worked for her for so many years, right? That I know, I know those looks really well. Yeah, yeah. You were having a bilateral yeah. luncheon in the Monroe room, exquisite room on the eighth floor. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I, I do have to say thank you. Thank you, Ambassador Bagley, for all the work that you did to help create that now $25 million endowment um, for those mm-hmm. cherished rooms. I mean, these rooms, uh, you know, the antiquities, everything that is, is a part of them. It's our history. It's our American history there. And it's well over $130 million. And, and now they will be protected and saved and cherished forever. So thank you for all of your oh, thank assistance. Thank you. That yeah. was really important. Um, but uh, so we're in lunch. We're having lunch in the, in the Monroe Room. This is very early on in the administration. And, uh, and the main course is served. Now we have great chefs at the State Department, super great chefs. Um, but they were never really pushed or challenged or asked to do anything different. And so this meal was set before Secretary Clinton and she looked down at it, <laughs> looked up at me, and then she looked back down, looked back at me, and I got it. We can do better. Here's an opportunity and we're missing it. We are hugely missing this opportunity, again, to create a critical connection with our counterparts. She's like, I go to Afghanistan, you should see the food that I receive. I know, they talk about the region, they talk about the type of rice, they talk about that, the wine that is served, what the grapes are, why they're serving it with that meal. And we were missing it. We, were, we weren't doing any of that. And so I sat with the team as, and most importantly, uh, Chris and Jason, the chefs uh, at the State Department, and they were so instrumental in assisting us in creating um, the Diplomatic Culinary Initiative. Uh, and this was, this was established so that each of our engagements, whether it was a luncheon, uh, a tea, a dinner, uh, whatever that, that event might be, that we were not missing out on that important opportunity to talk about who we are as Americans, you know, showcasing our, our style in service and the food, um, creating those, those meals that would have uh, certain um, uh, noted uh, nuances from uh, what we called them to the mix of flavors of our country and our visitors. Um, it just, all of it was, was really important. But the, probably the most important element of it was the state chef court. And uh, we went out and invited in, we vetted, of course, first, um, chefs across the country, just a, a whole wide variety of chefs uh, for them to become involved. So when they traveled abroad, they would go to our embassies and visit with them and create special meals and do special programming. Um, when they were here in, in the country, we invited them to come to the State Department and also to the White House. So for instance, one of our first engagements was with Ming Tsai, a famous chef in um, from Boston. And uh, this was on the occasion of then Vice President Xi Jinping's visit to the United States. This was a really important visit because it was setting the stage for when he became president. We were going to create this new relationship with this new president. So Vice President Biden was hosting him and escorting him throughout the country from D.C. to Chicago to Los Angeles. And I was with them throughout the entire occasion. So when I, I escorted uh, then Vice President Xi up to the Monroe Room uh, for, a, for a, a meet and greet with Vice President Biden and Secretary Clinton, and this was for a state luncheon. Uh, Secretary Clinton introduced Ming to uh, Vice President Xi, and 
his eyes just lit up. The two of them mm -hmm. start speaking in Mandarin. He was so Amazing. honored, so respected. Hillary looked at me and she goes, I think we have done more for our relationship than ours at the bilateral table could have ever done in this moment. And I think she was right. Ming created an amazing meal where he, again, used the number eight in, in much of the design work, uh, the flavors, both Asian and U.S., um, you know, local caught uh, fish, it, all of it designed just beautifully to speak to this special relationship. And, um, and that's what we were really trying to achieve with the Diplomatic Culinary Initiative. Yeah, it's amazing. Really wonderful. Uh, can you think about, I'm sure you've been asked this before, but what, what occasion do you think you had the best kind of uh, uh, impact, the most important impact uh, on the uh, results of the negotiations, just in terms of setting the stage and the tone and nuance and, you know, maybe doing something a little extra that they enjoyed or that it helped to balance the conversation. Well, Any? there were so many um, different ways. I can give you yeah. two that, that seemed small, but in the end really did make a difference. Um, when, when we traveled to the Czech Republic and uh, we, were, we were signing then the New START Treaty with our counterparts, it, was, it happened to be President Medvedev. Um, uh, you know, there was a lot on the line there. Um, creating parity was incredibly, incredibly important. As you all know, parity is one of those tenets of, of diplomacy we have to adhere to. And in particularly when you're, when you're signing a document. And um, so the, the two of them got along actually really well. And um, it came- Better than Putin, obviously. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah he was a, he's a better guy. Very different relationship. Um, yeah. So I, um, during their bilateral, I went out to go check the stage. And, and again, I'm with the cell Roberts. I'm always lucky when she's traveling with me. And we looked at the stage and we noted the chairs. There were two chairs that were, of course, there for the presidents to sit in to, to actually do the signing. I mean, the whole purpose of this entire visit is that moment when they are going to sign this document. And we noted, we said, you know, gosh, President Obama and President Medvedev sit in those chairs, it's going to look like President Obama is his father or his teacher or something. And he's <laughs> the little student or the little kid because it was so tiny. And he was, you know, diminished in his height because President Medvedev is pretty short. And so um, we sat and we talked to our counterparts. We brought in our, my Russian counterpart, who I really liked at the time, Marina. And um, I just actually was getting to know her, but I grew to like her. Um, I think you may have met her too, um, Elizabeth, at so. and, um, Melissa Moss's house. Yeah. Um, I yeah. brought her over for an event. And then we talked to our, our friends at, the, at the, the palace in the Czech Republic, and they took and, and added blocks to the bottom of the chair to raise President Medvedev up. Because if the next day it looked like there was this disparity, of course, yeah, they would be say the United States again, trying to one up Russia. And now this is a blemish. Now this is terrible. Um, and we didn't, we couldn't have that. We really couldn't have that. We had to have them really on equal footing. So that is one where I felt like protocol truly almost saved the day and saved uh, certainly the image that was transmitted from this very important signing ceremony. And another, mm -hmm. you know, that just comes to mind, um, you know, soft power 
is is so important yes. in diplomacy and so important in protocol and and we depend upon that 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 as Joe Nye coins it, it's that law of attraction. How do you pull someone into your way of thinking, right? And a different tool rather than hard power. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, gifts, gifts were so, so important in-, in Yeah, that was fascinating. All the, the, Sorry? What, that was fascinating how much it took, much uh, creativity and energy and uh, history and research to get the right kind of gift for, you know, and what a major difference it made. A hundred percent. It really did change a relationship and emphasize a relationship. Sometimes it noted an issue that was outstanding between, and hopefully this is a, one of those bridges because that's what we're all a part of, you know, that's as diplomats, what are we trying to do? We're trying to create bridges of understanding. Um, so when we went to the UK, um, what we wanted to emphasize was just how yeah. special this special relationship is and her majesty. Oh my goodness. I love her. <laughs> She's just so adorable. Yeah, tell the story about the bag. Oh, oh my. my goodness. So <laughs> this visit, I felt like I just had gone to the peaks of protocol. And um, Her Majesty acts as her own chief of protocol. But at the welcoming ceremony, at the arrival ceremony, it's just the, it was Her Majesty, Prince Philip, President Obama, Mrs. Obama, myself, and, and another protocol officer from Buckingham Palace standing there. And, you know, we as staff are trying to blend into the wall. We don't want them to see us, but just in case they might need us, we, we step forward. Well, I saw Her Majesty walking out with her bag still over her arm. And I thought, well, maybe she doesn't want to hand it to this young man because, you know, he's a man. And so lose it, yeah. Bag, right? <laughs> and, you know, in the United States, I always grab, I sometimes have three, four, five bags on my arms, you know, uh -huh. holding them right. for women when they have to go out for these very special ceremonies or to, to do a receiving line. And so I take one slight step forward and say, oh, Her Majesty's bag. And this young man pushes me back and goes, do not touch the bag. And I said, I'm so Like a nuclear bomb or something. Exactly. I said, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. He goes, we never touch the bag. And I said, oh, oh okay, I'm, I, I will let, what's in the bag? And he's like, we don't know what's in the bag, but we never touch the bag. You know, of course, then I'm dying of curiosity. What is in that doggone bag? And I kept asking everybody. They thought that perhaps Her Majesty was carrying a mobile phone uh, so that she could call her grandchildren. Yeah. That was so, so sweet. Yeah, that's sweet. So after that, then we they were escorted upstairs uh, in Buckingham Palace to the luncheon. So the suite, the the delegations, they call them suites. They go in behind closed doors to have the luncheon, and we are told now to set out our gifts. Her Majesty likes a full on presentation of the gifts, and they're on tables, long tables with white tablecloths over them. So I set about doing this now as. You know, Ambassador Bagley notes, we had research like crazy. And the reason being is because the Brits were all waiting. What will the Americans bring? Uh, because there was a little what bit of- What they do wrong? Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, early on in the administration where a gift was given and everyone kind of made a little bit of fun of it uh, because um, they just didn't think it was suitable for Her Majesty. And so we wanted this really to go very, very well. We wanted to emphasize, be a soft power tool to emphasize, attract, um, but we definitely don't want it to deviate any attention away from the business at hand. So Majesty walks out, she's got her come along, Mr. President, come along. And she's scooting him along. It's so cute. Back. 
and we get to, with her little bag and we get to the tables and I'm standing there and I'm standing alongside the president. I'm like, and I'm whispering to him, reminding him what's what, what's what. And we had decided, we had selected leather, a leather portfolio and had inserted memorabilia from her father's last visit to the United States um, because we know that she just adored, adored her father. And we found menu cards and thank you notes and all of this. And I worked with an amazing team of people in the gifts unit. Oh my gosh, from Katie Jack to Tracy Bernstein. Oh my gosh, they were all amazing. David Solomon, all amazing. Mm -hmm. And scrambling around the country, trying to find these unique pieces and putting this extraordinary gift together. Um, ultimate workmanship, I mean, team work, work together. Yeah. And um, so she's looking through this and she's paging and all of a sudden she looks up at the president. I want to say she had a little glint of a tear in her eye and she's like, oh, thank you, Mr. President. Thank you. And so clearly a home run. We're like, woohoo. <laughs> president yeah. looks at me, he's like, good job, you know? And then we'd learned that uh, Prince Philip loves to race his, his um, he loves to race carriage ponies. And so we created bits and shanks. We did create them. We found artisans in Ohio and in Colorado who collaborated and created bits and shanks for his carriage ponies. And then we soldered on um, the president's seal on the end in beautiful, elegant, elegant. I think Tracy found this one, uh, red box. And so uh, Her Majesty says to Prince Philip, oh, Philip, Philip, look what they got your ponies. And so he goes <laughs> over and he looks at got a great accent too. Thank you so much. <laughs> I love your British and accent. He looks at these, these pieces and he lifts them up and he's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. And she's like, oh, nonsense. And she calls this big man over who's like the head of the horses or something. And he lifts them and he goes, oh, no, your majesty, this is fine workmanship, fine workmanship indeed. And she goes, I told you. And then we gave a great <laughs> gift to Prince Charles and Lady Camilla, knowing that he's an environmentalist. We created this beautiful box made out of a, a fallen magnolia tree. And uh, from the south grounds of the White House. And then we put in seedlings from the, the White House and Monticello and Mount Vernon and a little bit of White House honey. And then they're all arg arguing over, you're like, oh, I have better honey. Oh, I have better honey. I thought, okay, we're going to have a little honey <laughs> off. But I'll tell you, I left and went back down to our US hold room in Buckingham Palace. It was quite a lovely hold room. And Katie Jack called me from, the, from her room and said, oh my goodness, on television, you have to turn on. We turned on the television and they said, Americans get it right. Her Majesty very pleased with gifts. So we oh. did what we intended. We punctuated. We made this special relationship even more special. And then thereafter, nobody else talked about the gifts. Yeah. What was it that they didn't like? It was some kind of a... It was an uh, iPod. An iPod, yeah. Yeah, and it was unfortunately an American iPod. And so it didn't, it couldn't even get plugged in. <laughs> oh, there were just, you know, a whole host of issues that had, had gone a bit wrong there. So anytime that yeah. they can mock us, they will. And I so know. we have they to do. eliminate those opportunities. Yeah, that's right. That's great. What's the, uh, what do you think the best gift uh, that you received? I know we had all these, you know, gifts because they can't accept a, uh, more than $2,000, $2,000 worth or something under the gift rules that we have. We have so many gifts that now are in the Diplomacy Center, U.S. Diplomacy Center, which you helped me uh, raise money for as well. Um, and, you know, it's so, so many amazing gifts, which... What do you think was the most interesting or 
not even the most valuable, the most interesting gift you know, that, was, that President Obama received. Oh my goodness. There were so many that um, were just fascinating uh, that, that he received, but what was really kind of, um, I think most, um, most extraordinary was that he was uh, really thought of as a modern day uh, Abraham Lincoln. And mm -hmm. so we received beautiful statues, um, sometimes artwork that reflected him and, and Abraham Lincoln. I can't wait for his museum to be put into place because right oh, now yeah. it's still in the GSA hold. And once it is um, unveiled, just like, you know, at the Clintons, I was so excited to see those various gifts that I had myself personally lugged and put into <laughs> some of the yeah. staff hands um, <laughs> on display uh, because it, it, it is, uh, you know, the exquisite craftsmanship and, and, and also they embody the intentionality from one foreign leader uh, uh, to another. Um, just really, really lovely. Um, I, see, I see in our Q&A um, ambassador uh, that Ambassador Bernstein is asking you to tell how you got the Diplomacy Museum to become a reality. What motivated you? <laughs> well, this is for Capricia, but uh, Ambassador oh, Bernstein- I think it was you. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was, that's, uh, that's your baby. I certainly, I certainly helped you uh, because I believed in it. I think you and I both believed in, uh, you know, how we needed to preserve and, and talk about our U.S. history and that most museums were, you know, there to honor wars. And uh, there was nothing that was established that really talked about the diplomatic efforts of of everyone, certainly on this call, um, but but mm -hmm. so many people who who made a amazing change in our global relations due to their diplomatic efforts. Well, as you say, I mean, it, it's it's soft diplomacy, it's smart diplomacy, which of course Joe and I also coined, but Hillary made famous. Uh, it is the, the what how our country began, and the kind of uh, achievements and growth that our country had is all reflected in our diplomacy. So uh, it's, it really is important. We never had one. Uh, the entire United States, there was never anything devoted to uh, what diplomacy is. It's like protocol, what, what people really don't know what it is uh, and how important it really is. You know, I remember Hillary always talking about the three-legged stool. You have to have defense and um, and diplomacy and development, economic development, those are the three parts of, of national security. And this is just as important as the other two. So uh, of course she was very involved in economic development to USIA and to US, um, USAID mainly. Uh, but it really, it, it, I think it was something that, that Hillary really, she was the one that asked me to do it and she really cared about leaving that kind of a legacy uh, so Ambassador Bernstein has been very involved. We're on the board of the Diplomacy Center. We started it, um, really, it had been started, but not uh, money hadn't come in. Uh, so I, you know, thanks to you and, and others, we would have a series of, um, of uh, lunches and uh, interviews with uh, Jim Baker, remember, and Henry Kissinger. We did a lot of those. Um, it, was, uh, it was fascinating, and I think it really elevated the whole um, nature of the project, but also elevated diplomacy in the eyes of, uh, 
of uh, the pro private sector and the public sector. It's something that, you know, again, she appointed me to be the uh, uh, first representative for global initiatives, and that was all about public-private partnerships, as you talk about doing, you know, and, and creating so many, um, you know, initiatives at state. It's, it's not just the federal government. Uh, it's not just the State Department. It's working with uh, so many other organizations, NGOs, uh, corporations, uh, and together they all become part of the diplomatic fabric. So very important. And thank you for all you did for that too. And another feather in our caps. I, I have to tell you, it's just stunning. It's just, it really is exquisite. And uh, you put so, I mean, the thing that I just absolutely adore about you and, and marvel at is that there is no project, no challenge that you do not throw down and, and finish off. I mean, we would have never had a building at the Shanghai Expo had it not been for you. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that talk about soft power. That was critical critical to our relationship with China. I remember I when the new ambassador came in and he said, he stated, why do you not have a building for the giant, for the Shanghai Expo? I this know it was, they were trying, we, I mean, we had to have, have them save face. That was the first thing when she made, remember she, that was one of her first trips was to China. And after talking about the, you know, Taiwan and South China Sea, they said, well, what about Shanghai, what about the expo? And she starts flipping through her, her book saying, where's the briefing book? I don't have anything on this. What is it? Well, there's a hole in the ground where your you know, exhibit should be. And so that was my first job, was raising money for the Shanghai Expo. And you did it. You did it. Mm -hmm. And they were so uh, just completely they were. grateful yeah. to you. When we went over for for the yeah, event, itself, great. We were so time. excited to be joining you on that delegation, and uh, I mean, just the that the importance of it all, which you know, former Secretary Madeleine Albright understood completely, and um, it, it, it you know, we would have been in a, a really bad way with with right. China had we not uh, presented there. But you did the same with the Diplomacy Museum. You step up. You represented us so well in Portugal. Just, I mean, amazing. Well, thank you. And I have to say that that is the power of, of diplomacy, that when you have um, not just political appointees, because I think that you would agree with mm -hmm. me. There was another question in the Q&A that I think is, is really interesting that, you know, our foreign service officers have taken a hit as of late. Oh, and, um We know how incredibly important they are to our global engagements. Um, mm -hmm. People like Bill Burns um, and so, so others um, who have mm -hmm. been instrumental in being those threads of those relationships from administration to administration, keeping the boats afloat and steering us, you know, the political folks who come in for four to sometimes hopefully eight years um, mm -hmm. and making sure that we don't, you know, find our way into some of those pitfalls that they had experienced previously in their, um, in their careers. Uh, they're just so important. So in any way, someone anonymously sent this in saying, would I help them? 
in any way possible, I could, I will. I will absolutely go to FSI. I will absolutely assist. And I'm already sending two great people as foreign service candidates to go to the school and apply and see if they can get in. Um, oh, great. Well, we need them. I mean, they've lost the so many. It's terrible. I mean, I it's really terrible. But um, yes, yes, on both accounts. Right. Are there any other questions? It's at uh, it's Kathleen. I don't see any others in uh, in the Q and A myself. There was, one, there was one. Uh, there was one other question that was sent in via email that I was sort of sort of interesting, and that is, um, um, what do you find to be the greatest challenge between uh, practicing protocol in your uh, personal life versus practicing protocol when you're working on behalf of the Department of State? Ah, uh, you know, uh -huh. I, the, 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 what what is interesting is that you are what I, I'm attempting to do now in my in, in the private sector life I am now leading is to really draw upon that upon those tools. You know, protocol is all about preparation, and preparation can be incredibly powerful. People are not aware of just sometimes how powerful. I mean, we we actually have have seen it on display when it is ignored, um, when you disregard the guidelines that you are given, when you scoff at uh, planning and, and following uh, the well-laid path that your advisor's assistants have made for you when you are in leadership positions. Um, you know, when, when these rules, these guidelines are ignored, you know, we either look as though we are, we're confused or it can create chaos, or sometimes it, it can be um, deemed to be a bit malicious, like there's some malintent there. Mm -hmm. And you never want that. You, you want to make sure that you're always in control, that you are leading this charge. You know, in protocol, we not only were building those bridges of understanding, but we were also trying to persuade. And that you can do so easily in your business negotiations, in your individual life, because you know, you want to create that connection, but then you want to pull people into your way of thinking and, and have them understand uh, the position that you are coming from, the directive that you're giving them. Um, you know, planning can also be incredibly influencing because now you're on my road, my path. And, um, and when you do that, uh, you know, people are going to follow you and lead to your ultimate goal, whether that's signing the deal or, um, you know, engaging in a, a conversation in a way that um, will open them up to new ways of thinking. Uh, what's also really powerful about preparation and planning, the protocol important pieces, is um, that it allows you some flexibility. You know, you can go take an off-ramp. Um, you, you might have an oopsie doodle along the way and you, you have to sort of take an off ramp uh, because something didn't go according to that well laid out plan. Um, but, the, but because you are prepared, because you have that roadmap, you can take that on ramp right back onto it and continue um, with, with your duties at hand. So all of that plays so perfectly into your business negotiations and certainly into your um, your individual life. One thing that if I if I could continue on for just a moment, Kathleen, to say is that 
What also is really important in, um, that I derive from protocol, and Ambassador Bagley touched upon this with culture and our cultural IQ, that um, during these t hard times, we are navigating um, you know, a, a division in our country, I dare say that perhaps we haven't experienced before. And um, in, in large measure, because many people are coming to the, 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 the line in the road, if you will, with their presets, my understanding, my way or the highway, not gonna move, this is how I believe. And we all understand in diplomacy that we have to enhance our presets. We have to learn more about those people that we're going to engage in these discussions with, not because we want to adopt their way of thinking. We just want to know where they're coming from. We want to understand their position so that we, we can navigate that discussion better. Um, perhaps it might enlighten us along the way to think about something a little bit more differently. Uh, and so I, I wish that people would, during these hard times, engage in a little bit more of what we all experienced in our diplomatic endeavors, where we reached out with a curious nature to understand you know, why people were thinking differently than us and, and perhaps broaden our minds to accept some of these differences um, while we try to create these, these bridges of understanding um, as we navigate the, the, the tough times and waters ahead. You know, I watched President Clinton um, with President-elect Bush on a very special day. Mm. It was the day of transition. Beautiful story. And he, um, you know, I was so fortunate to be one of the two people, myself and John Podesta were the, the last two White House staffers um, there for this ceremony. And uh, it's a beautiful tradition in our country where the the, the, the current president invites the incoming uh, to a coffee. And it's like 15, 20 minutes in the White House in the Blue Room. And so the delegations arrived. Um, it was a tough time because if you remember that election was a tough one. And uh, um, you know there was Vice President Gore with President-elect Bush. It was all a little weird. And um, after I had escorted them back out into the motorcades, there's President Clinton standing with President-elect Bush and he's, he puts on his, they put on their jackets and President Clinton grabs President-elect Bush by the shoulders and sort of straightens out his jacket taps him on the back and he says, come on, let's go do this. And President-elect Bush looked up at him and didn't say a word, but in his eyes, he said, don't worry, I've got this. And in that moment, that instant, there was the transition of power between two men whose philosophies about running our country could not be more different. But there were no horrible words spoken. There was, there was not a, a punch thrown. It just <laughs> so peacefully in that moment. And that's who we are in our country. That's what we stand for. We need to embrace those times again and look at leadership that understood the importance of what the United States of America stands for. It was a beautiful moment for me and I will, I will forever cherish that memory. Bravo, let's hope it continues. Um, I think this conversation could go on for a long time. I know, it could. We could be talking about it. Really, everything that you
you've had to say has been so interesting and so informative and, and said in such a way that really resonates and it's really been fabulous. But I know that you are yeah. also both busy women and you have other things you have to do. So I know we have to end it here, but I just want to thank you both so much for participating in this. And uh, it's been a fabulous conversation. And I think everybody who's been watching it has really gotten a lot from it. So thank you both very, very much. Oh, our pleasure. Now everyone has to read her book because it's great. It's really fun. And if you go to the Council of American Ambassadors website, you can find the link to purchase it right there. So just go to the Council's website. <laughs> thank you, Kathleen. And thank you, Ambassador Bagley. Really appreciate thank it. Thank you, Ambassador Marshall. It's great to see you again. You too. To be I'm home. Yeah, I will. Take care. <laughs>